Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and today, chapters 19 and 20, from The Return of Tarzan. And now, chapter 19, The City of Gold. The very night that Tarzan of the Apes became chief of the Waziri, the woman he loved lay dying in a tiny boat 200 miles west of him upon the Atlantic. As he danced among his naked fellow savages, the firelight gleaming against his great, rolling muscles, the personification of physical perfection and strength. The woman who loved him lay thin and emaciated in a last coma that precedes death by thirst and starvation. The week following the induction of Tarzan into the kingship of the Waziri was occupied in escorting the Maniuma of the Arab raiders to the northern boundary of Waziri in accordance with the promise which Tarzan had made them. Before he left them, he exacted a pledge from them that they would not lead any expeditions against the Waziri in the future. Nor was it a difficult promise to obtain. They had had sufficient experience with the fighting tactics of the new Waziri chief not to have the slightest desire to accompany another predatory force within the boundaries of his domain. Almost immediately upon his return to the village, Tarzan commenced making preparations for leading an expedition in search of the ruined city of gold, which old Waziri had described to him. He selected fifty of the sturdiest warriors of his tribe, choosing only men who seemed anxious to accompany him on the arduous march and share the dangers of a new and hostile country. Fabulous wealth of the fabled city had been almost constantly in his mind since Waziri had recounted the strange adventures of the former expedition which had stumbled upon the vast ruins by chance. The lure of adventure may have been quite as powerful a factor in urging Tarzan of the Apes to undertake the journey as the lure of the gold. But the lure of gold was there too, for he had learned among civilized men something of the miracles that may be wrought by the possessor of this magic yellow metal. What he would do with a golden fortune in the heart of savage Africa it had not occurred to him to consider. It would be enough to possess the power to work wonders, even though he had never had an opportunity to employ it. So one glorious tropical morning, Waziri, chief of the Waziri, set out at the head of fifty clean-limbed Eben warriors in quest of adventure and of riches. They followed the same course which old Waziri had described to Tarzan. For days they marched, up one river, across a low divide, down another river, up a third, until at the end of the twenty-fifth day they camped upon a mountainside, from the summit of which they hoped to catch their first view of the marvelous city of treasure. Early the next morning they were climbing the almost perpendicular crags which formed the last but greatest natural barrier between them and their destination. It was nearly noon before Tarzan, who headed the thin line of climbing warriors, scrambled over the top of the last cliff and stood upon the little flat tableland of the mountaintop. On either hand towered mighty peaks thousands of feet higher than the pass through which they were entering the Forbidden Valley. Behind him stretched the wooded valley across which they had marched for many days, and at the opposite side the low range which marked the boundary of their own country. But before him now was the view that centered his attention. Here lay a desolate valley, a shallow, narrow valley dotted with stunted trees and covered with many great boulders. And on the far side of the valley lay what appeared to be a mighty city, its great walls, its lofty spires, its turrets, minarets, and domes showing red and yellow in the sunlight. Tarzan was yet too far away to note the marks of ruin. To him it appeared a wonderful city of magnificent beauty, and in imagination he peopled its broad avenues and its huge temples with a throng of happy, 
active people. For an hour the little expedition rested upon the mountaintop, and then Tarzan led them down into the valley below. There was no trail, but the way was less arduous than the ascent of the opposite face of the mountain had been. Once in the valley, their progress was rapid, so that it was still light when they halted before the towering walls of the ancient city. The outer wall was fifty feet in height, where it had not fallen into ruin, but nowhere as far as they could see had more than ten or twenty feet of the upper courses fallen away. It was still a formidable defense. On several occasions Tarzan had thought that he discerned things moving behind the ruined partitions of the wall near to them, as though creatures were watching them from behind the bulwarks of the ancient pile. And often he felt the sensation of unseen eyes upon him, but not once could he be sure that it was more than his imagination. That night they camped outside the city. Once at midnight they were awakened by a shrill scream from beyond the great wall. It was very high at first, descending gradually until it ended in a series of dismal moans. It had a strange effect upon the Waziri, almost paralyzing them with terror while it lasted, and it was an hour before the camp settled down to sleep once more. In the morning, the effects of it were still visible in the fearful, sidelong glances that the Waziri continually cast at the massive and forbidding structure which loomed above them. It required considerable encouragement and urging on Tarzan's part to prevent the natives from abandoning the venture on the spot and hastening back across the valley toward the cliffs they had scaled the day before. But at length, by dint of commands and threats that he would enter the city alone, they agreed to accompany him. For fifteen minutes they marched along the face of the wall before they discovered a means of ingress. Then they came to a narrow cleft about twenty inches wide. Within, a flight of concrete steps, worn hollow by centuries of use, rose before them, to disappear at a sharp turning of the passage a few yards ahead. In this narrow alley Tarzan made his way, turning his giant shoulders sideways that they might enter it all. Behind him trailed his warriors. At the turn in the cleft the stairs ended, until suddenly at a sharp angle it debouched upon a narrow court, across which loomed an inner wall equally as high as the outer. This inner wall was set with little round towers alternated along its entire summit with pointed monoliths. In places these had fallen, and the wall was ruined, but it was in a much better state of preservation than the outer wall. Another narrow passage led through this wall, and at its end Tarzan and his warriors found themselves in a broad avenue, on the opposite side of which crumbling edifices of hewn granite loomed dark and forbidding. Upon the crumbling degree along the face of the buildings trees had grown, and vines wound in and out of the hollow staring windows but the building directly opposite them seemed less overgrown than the others, and in a much better state of preservation. It was a massive pile surmounted by an enormous dome. At either side of its great entrance stood rows of tall pillars, each kept by a huge, grotesque bird carved from the solid rock of the monoliths. As the ape-man and his companions stood gazing in varying degrees of wonderment at this ancient city in the midst of savage Africa, several of them became aware of movement within the structure at which they were looking. Dim, shadowy shapes appeared to be moving about in the semi-darkness of the interior. There was nothing tangible that the eye could grasp, only an uncanny suggestion of life where it seemed that there should be no life, for living things seemed out of place in this weird, dead city of the long-dead past. Tarzan recalled something that he had read in a library at Paris of a lost race of white men 
that native legend described as living in the heart of Africa. He wondered if he were not looking upon the ruins of that civilization that this strange people had wrought amid the savage surroundings of their strange and savage home. Could it be possible that even now a remnant of that lost race inhabited this ruined grandeur that had once been their progenitor? Again he became conscious of a stealthy movement within the great temple before him. "'Come,' he said to his waziri. "'Let us have a look at what lies behind these ruined walls.' His men were loath to follow him, but when they saw that he was bravely entering the frowning portal they trailed a few paces behind in a huddled group that seemed the personification of nervous terror. A single shriek such as they had heard the night before would have been sufficient to have sent them all racing madly for the narrow cleft that led through the great walls to the outer world. As Tarzan entered the building he was distinctly aware of many eyes upon him. There was a rustling in the shadows of a nearby corridor, and he could have sworn that he saw a human head withdrawn from an embrasure that opened above him into the dome-like rotunda in which he found himself. The floor of the chamber was of concrete, the walls of smooth granite, upon which strange figures of men and beasts were carved. In places tablets of yellow metal had been set in the solid masonry of the wall. When he approached closer to one of these tablets he saw that it was of gold, and bore many hieroglyphics. Beyond this first chamber there were others, and back of them the building branched out into enormous wings. Tarzan passed through several of these chambers, finding many evidences of the fabulous wealth of the original builders. In one room there were seven pillars of solid gold, and in another the floor itself was made of gold. And all the while that he explored, his natives huddled close together at his back, and strange shapes hovered upon either hand and before them and behind, yet never close enough that any might say that they were not alone. The strain, however, was telling upon the nerves of the Waziri. They begged Tarzan to return to the sunlight. They said that no good could come of such an expedition, for the ruins were haunted by the spirits of the dead who had once inhabited them. "'They are watching us, O king,' whispered Basuli. "'They are waiting until they have led us into the innermost recesses of their stronghold, and then they will fall upon us and tear us to pieces with their teeth. That is the way with spirits. My mother's uncle, who is a great witch-doctor, has told me all about it many times.' Tarzan laughed. "'Run back into the sunlight, my children,' he said. I will join you when I have searched this old ruin from top to bottom, and found the gold, or found that there is none. At least we may take the tablets from the walls, though the pillars are too heavy for us to handle. But there should be great but there should be great storerooms filled with gold, gold that we can carry away upon our backs with ease. Run on now, out into the fresh air where you may breathe easier. Some of the warriors started to obey their chief with alacrity. But Busuli and several others hesitated to leave him, hesitated between love and loyalty for their king and superstitious fear of the unknown. And then, quite unexpectedly, that occurred which decided the question, without the necessity for further discussion. Out of the silence of the ruined temple there rang, close to their ears, the same hideous shriek they had heard the previous night. "'and with horrified cries the black warriors turned and fled "'through the empty halls of the age-old edifice. "'Behind them stood Tarzan of the apes where they had left him, "'a grim smile upon his lips, "'waiting for the enemy he fully expected was about to pounce upon him. "'But again silence reigned, "'except for the faint suggestion of the sound of naked feet "'moving stealthily in, in nearby places. "'Then Tarzan wheeled and passed on into the depths of the temple. "'From room to room he went,' 
until he came to one at which a rude, barred door still stood. And as he put his shoulder against it to push it in again, the shriek of warning rang out almost beside him. It was evident that he was being warned to refrain from desecrating this particular room. Or could it be that within lay the secret to the treasure stores? At any rate, the very fact that the strange, invisible guardians of this weird place had had some reason for wishing him not to enter this particular chamber was sufficient to treble Tarzan's desire to do so. And though the shrieking was repeated continuously, he kept his shoulder to the door until it gave before his giant strength to swing open upon creaking wooden hinges. Within, all was black as the tomb. There was no window to let in the faintest ray of light, and as the corridor upon which it opened was itself in semi-darkness, even the open door shed no relieving rays within. Feeling before him upon the floor with the butt of his spear, Tarzan entered the Stygian gloom. Suddenly the door behind him closed, and at the same time hands clutched him from every direction out of the darkness. The ape-man fought with all the savage fury of his self-preservation, backed by the Herculean strength that was his. But though he felt his blows land, and his teeth sink into soft flesh, there seemed always two new hands to take the place of those he fought off. At last they dragged him down, and slowly, very slowly, they overcame him. His hands behind his back, and his feet trussed up to meet them. He had heard no sound except the heavy breathing of his antagonist, and the noise of the battle. He knew not what manner of creatures had captured him, but that they were human seemed evident from the fact that they had bound him. Presently they lifted him from the floor, and half dragging, half pushing him, they brought him out of the black chamber through another doorway into an inner courtyard of the temple. Here he saw his captors. There must have been a hundred of them, short, stocky men with great beards that covered their faces and fell upon their hairy breasts. The thick, matted hair upon their heads grew low over their receding brows and hung about their shoulders and their backs. Their crooked legs were short and heavy, their arms long and muscular. About their loins they wore the skins of leopards and lions, and great necklaces of the claws of those same animals hung from their breasts. Massive circlets of virgin gold adorned their arms and legs. For weapons they carried heavy, knotted bludgeons, and in the belts that confined their single garments each had a long, wicked-looking knife. But the feature of them that made the most startling impression upon their prisoner was their white skins. During the fight within the dark chamber, and while they had been dragging Tarzan to the inner court, no word had been spoken. But now several of them exchanged grunting, monosyllabic conversation in a language unfamiliar to the ape-man, and presently they left him lying upon the concrete floor while they trooped off on their short legs into another part of the temple beyond the court. As Tarzan lay there upon his back, he saw that the temple entirely surrounded a little enclosure, and that on all sides its lofty walls rose high above him. At the top a little patch of blue sky was visible, and in one direction, through an embrasure, he could see foliage, but whether it was beyond or within the temple, he did not know. About the court, from the ground to the top of the temple, were a series of open galleries, and now and then the captive caught glimpses of bright eyes gleaming from beneath masses of tumbling hair, peering down upon him from above. The ape-man gently tested the strength of the bonds that held him, and while he could not be sure, it seemed that they were of insufficient strength to withstand the strains of his mighty muscles when the time came to make a break for freedom. But he did not dare to put them to the crucial test until darkness had fallen, 
or he felt that no spying eyes were upon him. He had lain within the court for several hours before the first rays of sunlight penetrated the vertical shaft. Almost simultaneously he heard the pattering of bare feet in the corridors about him, and a moment later saw the galleries above filled with crafty faces as a score or more entered the courtyard. For a moment every eye was bent upon the noonday sun, and then in unison the people in the galleries and those in the court below took up the refrain of a low, weird chant. Presently those about Tarzan began to dance to the cadence of their solemn song. They circled him slowly, resembling in their manner of dancing a number of clumsy, shuffling bears, but as yet they did not look at him, keeping their little eyes fixed upon the sun. For ten minutes or more they kept up their monotonous chant and steps, and then suddenly, and in perfect unison, they turned toward their victim with upraised bludgeons, emitting fearful howls, while all the while they contorted their features into the most diabolical expressions. And then they rushed upon him. At the same instant a female figure dashed into the midst of the bloodthirsty horde, and with a bludgeon similar to their own, except that it was wrought from gold, beat back the advancing men. We'll begin Chapter 20 right after these sponsor messages. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. And now, Chapter 20 from The Return of Tarzan. Titled, La. For a moment, Tarzan thought that by some strange freak of fate, a miracle had saved him. But when he realized the ease with which the girl had, single-handed, beaten off twenty gorilla-like males, and an instant later, as he saw them again take up their dance about him while she addressed him in a sing-song monotone, which bore every evidence of rote, he came to the conclusion that it was all but a part of the ceremony of which he was the central figure. After a moment or two, the girl drew a knife from her girdle, and leaning over Tarzan, cut the bonds from his legs. Then, as the men stopped their dance and approached, she motioned him to rise. Placing the rope that had been about his legs around his neck, she led him across the courtyard, the men following in twos. Through winding corridors she led, farther and farther into the remoter precincts of the temple, until they came to a great chamber in the center of which stood an altar. Then it was that Tarzan translated the strange ceremony that had preceded his introduction into this holy of holies. He had fallen into the hands of descendants of the ancient sun-worshippers. His seeming rescue by a votaress of the high priestess of the sun had been but a part of the mimicry of their heathen ceremony. The sun looking down upon him through the opening at the top of the court had claimed him as his own, and the priestess had come from the inner temple to save him from the polluting hands of worldlings, to save him as a human offering to their flaming deity. 
and had he needed further assurance as to the correctness of his theory, he had only to cast his eyes upon the brownish-red stains that caked the stone altar and covered the floor in its immediate vicinity, or to the human skulls, which grinned from countless niches in the towering walls. The priestess led the victim to the altar's steps. Again the galleries above filled with watchers, while from an arched doorway at the east end of the chamber a procession of females filed slowly into the room. They wore, like the men, only skins of wild animals caught about their waists with rawhide belts or chains of gold. But the black masses of their hair were encrusted with golden headgear composed of many circular and oval pieces of gold ingeniously held together to form a metal cap from which depended at each side of the head long strings of oval pieces falling to the waist. The females were more symmetrically proportioned than the males. Their features were much more perfect, the shapes of their heads and their large, soft black eyes denoting far greater intelligence and humanity than was possessed by their lords and masters. Each priestess bore two golden cups, and as they formed in line along one side of the altar, the men formed opposite them, advancing and taking each a cup from the female opposite. Then the chant began once more, and presently from a dark passageway beyond the altar another female emerged from the cavernous depths beneath the chamber. The high priestess, thought Tarzan. She was a young woman with a rather intelligent and shapely face. Her ornaments were similar to those worn by her votaries, but much more elaborate, many being set with diamonds. Her bare arms and legs were almost concealed by the massive, bejeweled ornaments which covered them while her single leopard skin was supported by a close-fitting girdle of golden rings set in strange designs with innumerable small diamonds. In the girdle she carried a long, jeweled knife, and in her hand a slender wand in lieu of bludgeon. As she advanced to the opposite side of the altar she halted, and the chanting ceased. The priests and priestesses knelt before her, while with wand extended above them she recited a long and tiresome prayer. Her voice was soft and musical, Tarzan could scarce realize that its possessor, in a moment more, would be transformed by the fanatical ecstasy of religious zeal into a wild-eyed and bloodthirsty executioner, who, with dripping knife, would be the first to drink her victim's red, warm blood from the little golden cup that stood upon the altar. As she finished her prayer, she let her eyes rest for the first time upon Tarzan. With every indication of considerable curiosity, she examined him from head to foot. Then she addressed him, and when she had finished, stood waiting, as though she expected a reply. "'I do not understand your language,' said Tarzan. "'Possibly we may speak together in another tongue?' But she could not understand him, though he tried French, English, Arab, Waziri, and as a last resort, the mongrel tongue of the West Coast. She shook her head, and it seemed that there was a note of weariness in her voice as she motioned to the priest to continue with the rites. These now circled in a repetition of their idiotic dance, which was terminated finally at a command from the priestess, who had stood throughout, still looking intently upon Tarzan. At her signal, the priest rushed upon the ape-man, and, lifting him bodily, laid him upon his back across the altar, his head hanging over one edge, his legs over the opposite. Then they and the priestesses formed in two lines, with their little golden cups in readiness to capture a share of the victim's life-blood after the sacrificial knife had accomplished his work. In the line of priests, an altercation arose as to who should have first place. A burly brute with all the refined intelligence of a gorilla stamped upon his bestial face was attempting to push a smaller man to second place, but the smaller one appealed to the high priestess, 
who, in a cold, peremptory voice, sent the larger to the extreme end of the line. Tarzan could hear him growling and rumbling as he went slowly to the last place in line. Then the priestess, standing above him, began reciting what Tarzan took to be an invocation, while all the while she slowly raised her thin, sharp knife aloft. It seemed ages to the ape-man before her arm ceased its upward progress and the knife halted high above his unprotected breast. Then it started downward, slowly at first, but as the incantation increased in rapidity, with greater speed. At the end of the line, Tarzan could still hear the grumbling of the disgruntled priest. The man's voice rose louder and louder. A priest as near him spoke in sharp tones of rebuke. The knife was quite near to Tarzan's breast now, but it halted for an instant as the high priestess raised her eyes to shoot her swift displeasure at the instigator of this sacrilegious interruption. There was a sudden commotion in the direction of the disputants, and Tarzan rolled his head in their direction in time to see the burly brute of a priest leap upon the woman opposite him, dashing out her brains with a single blow of his heavy cudgel. Then that happened which Tarzan had witnessed a hundred times before among the wild denizens of his own savage jungle. He had seen the thing fall upon Kerchak, and Tublet, and Turkaz, upon a dozen of the other mighty bull-apes of his tribe, and upon Tantor the elephant, there was scarce any of the males of the forest that did not at times fall prey to it. The priest went mad, and with his heavy bludgeon, ran amuck among his fellows. His screams of rage were frightful as he dashed hither and thither, dealing terrific blows with his giant weapon, or sinking his yellow fangs into the flesh of, the, of some luckless victim. And during it the priestess stood with poised knife above Tarzan, her eyes fixed in horror upon the maniacal thing that was dealing out death and destruction to her votaries. Presently the room was emptied except for the dead and dying on the floor, the victim upon the altar, the high priestess, and the madman. As the cunning eyes of the latter fell upon the woman, they lighted with a new and sudden lust. Slowly he crept toward her, and now he spoke, but this time there fell upon Tarzan's surprised ears a language he could understand, the last one that he would have ever thought of employing in attempting to converse with human beings. The low, guttural barking of the tribe of great anthropoids, his own mother tongue. And the woman answered the man in the same language. He was threatening, she attempting to reason with him, for it was quite evident that she saw that he was past her authority. The brute was quite close now, creeping with claw-like hands extended toward her around the end of the altar. Tarzan strained at the bonds which held his arms pinioned behind him. The woman did not see. She had forgotten her prey in the horror of the danger that threatened herself. As the brute leaped past Tarzan to clutch his victim, the ape-man gave one superhuman wrench at the thongs that held him. The effort set him rolling from the altar to the stone floor on the opposite side from that on which the priestess stood. But as he sprang to his feet, the thongs dropped from his freed arms, and at the same time he realized that he was alone in the inner temple. The high priestess and the mad priest had disappeared. And then a muffled scream came from the cavernous mouth of the dark hole beyond the sacrificial altar through which the priestess had entered the temple. Without even a thought for his own safety, or the possibility for escape which this rapid series of fortuitous circumstances had thrust upon him, Tarzan of the apes answered the call of the woman in danger. With a little bound he was at the gaping entrance to the subterranean chamber, and a moment later was running down a flight of age-old concrete steps that led he knew not where. The faint light that filtered in from above showed him a large, low-sealed vault from which several doorways led off into inky darkness, but there was no need to thread an unknown way, 
for there before him lay the objects of his search. The mad brute had the girl upon the floor, and gorilla-like fingers were clutching frantically at her throat as she struggled to escape the fury of the awful thing upon her. As Tarzan's heavy hand fell upon his shoulder, the priest dropped his victim and turned upon her would-be rescuer. With foam-flecked lips and bared fangs, the mad sun-worshipper battled with, with the tenfold power of a maniac. In the blood-lust of his fury, the creature had undergone a sudden reversion to type, which left him a wild beast, forgetful of the dagger that projected from his belt, thinking only of nature's weapons with which his brute prototype had battled. But if he could use his teeth and hands to advantage, he found one even better versed in the school of savage warfare to which he had reverted, for Tarzan of the Apes closed with him, and they fell to the floor tearing and rending at one another like two bull apes, while the primitive priestess stood flattened against the wall, watching with wide, fear-fascinated eyes the growling, snapping beasts at her feet. At last she saw the stranger close one mighty hand upon the throat of his antagonist. He rained blow after blow upon the upturned face. A moment later he threw the still thing from him, and arising, shook himself like a lion. He placed a foot upon the carcass before him, and raised his head to give the victory cry of his kind. But as his eyes fell upon the opening above him leading into the temple of human sacrifice, he thought better of his intended act. The girl, who had been half paralyzed by fear as the two men fought, had just commenced to give thought to her probable fate, now that, though released from the clutches of a madman, she had fallen into the hands of one whom but a moment before she had been upon the point of killing. She looked about for some means of escape. The black mouth of a diverging corridor was near at hand, but as she turned to dart into it, the ape-man's eyes fell upon her, and with a quick leap he was at her side, and a restraining hand was laid upon her arm. "'Who are you?' she whispered. "'I am Tarzan of the Apes,' said Tarzan of the Apes, "'in the language of the tribe of Kerchak.' "'The girl looked at him in astonishment. "'Who speaks the language of the first man?' "'I am Tarzan of the Apes,' he answered, "'in the vernacular of the anthropoids. "'What do you want of me?' she continued. "'For what purpose did you save me from Tha?' "'I could not see a woman murdered.' "'It was a half-question that answered her. "'But what do you intend to do with me now?' she continued. "'Nothing,' he replied. "'But you can do something for me. "'You can lead me out of this place to freedom.' "'He made the suggestion without the slightest thought that she would exceed. "'He felt quite sure that the sacrifice would go on "'from the point where it had been interrupted "'if the high priestess had her way, "'though he was equally positive "'that they would find Tarzan of the Apes unbound "'and with a long dagger in his hand "'a much less tractable victim.' "'than Tarzan disarmed and bound. "'The girl stood looking at him for a long moment before she spoke. "'You are such a man as I have seen in my dreams ever since I was a little girl. "'You are such a man as I imagine the forebears of my people must have been. "'The great race of people who built this mighty city in the heart of a savage world "'that they might wrest from the bowels of the earth "'the fabulous wealth for which they had sacrificed their far distant civilization. "'I cannot understand why you came to my rescue in the first place.' "'and now I cannot understand why, having me within your power, "'you do not wish to be revenged upon me for having sentenced you to death, "'for having almost put you to death with my own hand.' "'I presume,' replied the ape-man, "'that you would follow the teachings of your religion. "'I cannot blame you for that, no matter what I may think of your creed. "'But who are you? What people have I fallen among?' "'I am La, high priestess of the Temple of the Sun,' "'in the city of Obhar. "'We are descendants of a people "'who came to this savage world "'more than ten thousand years ago "'in search of gold. 
Their cities stretched from a great sea under the rising sun to a great sea into which the sun descends at night to cool his flaming brow. They were very rich and very powerful, but they lived only a few months of the year in their magnificent palaces here. The rest of the time they spent in their native land, far, far to the north. Many ships went back and forth between this new world and the old. During the rainy season, there were but few of the inhabitants remained here, only those who superintended the working of the mines by the black slaves, and the merchants who had to stay to supply their wants, and the soldiers who guarded the cities and mines. It was at one of these times that a great calamity occurred. When the time came for the teeming thousands to return, none came. For weeks the people waited. Then they sent out a great galley to learn why no one came from the mother country. But though they sailed about for many months, they were unable to find any trace of the mighty land that had for countless ages borne their ancient civilization. It had sunk into the sea. From that day dated the downfall of my people. Disheartened and unhappy, they soon became a prey to the black hordes of the north and the black hordes of the south. One by one the cities were deserted or overcome. The last remnant was finally forced to take shelter within this mighty mountain fortress. Slowly we have dwindled in power, in civilization, in intellect, in numbers, until we are now no more than a small tribe of savage apes. In fact, the apes live with us, and have for many ages. We call them the first men. We speak their language quite as much as we do our own. Only in the rituals of the temple do we make any attempt to retain our mother tongue. In time it will be forgotten, and we will speak only the language of the apes. In time we will no longer banish those of our people who mate with apes. And so in time we shall descend to the very beasts from which ages ago our progenitors may have sprung. But why are you more human than the others? asked Tarzan. For some reason the women have not reverted to savagery so rapidly as the men. It may be because only the lower types of men remained here at the time of the great catastrophe, while the temples were filled with the noblest daughters of the race. My strain has remained clearer than the rest because for countless ages my foremothers were high priestesses. The sacred office descends from mother to daughter. Our husbands are chosen for us from the noblest in the land. The most perfect man, mentally and physically, is selected to be the husband of the high priestess. From what I saw of the gentlemen above, said Tarzan, with a grin, there should be little trouble in choosing from among them. The girl looked at him quizzically for a moment. Do not be sacrilegious, she said. They were very holy men. They are priests. Then there are others who are better to look upon? He asked. The others are all more ugly than the priests, she replied. Tarzan shuddered at her fate. "'for even in the dim light of the vault "'he was impressed by your beauty. "'But how about myself?' "'he asked suddenly. "'Are you going to lead me to liberty?' "'You have been chosen by the flaming god as his own,' "'she answered solemnly. "'Not even I have the power to save you, "'should they find you again. "'But I do not intend that they shall find you. "'You risked your life to save mine. "'I may do no less for you. "'It will be no easy matter. "'It may require days.' "'but in the end I think I can lead you beyond the walls. "'Come. "'They will look here for me presently, "'and if they find us together we shall both be lost. "'They would kill me "'if they thought that I had proved false to my God.' "'You must not take the risk, then,' "'he said quickly. "'I will return to the temple, "'and if I can fight my way to freedom "'there will be no suspicion thrown upon you.' "'But she would not have it so, "'and finally persuaded him to follow her, 
saying that they had already remained in the vault too long to prevent suspicion from falling upon her, even if they returned to the temple. "'I will hide you, and then return alone,' she said, "'telling them that I was long unconscious after you killed Tha, "'and that I do not know whether you escaped.' "'And so she led him through winding corridors of gloom "'until finally they came to a small chamber "'into which a little light filtered through a stone grating in the ceiling. "'This is the chamber of the dead,' she said. "'None will think of searching for you here. "'They wouldn't dare. "'I will return after it is dark. "'By that time I may have found a plan to effect your escape.' "'She was gone.' and Tarzan of the Apes was left alone in the chamber of the dead beneath the long dead city of Opar. Thank you for joining us for chapters 19 and 20 of The Return of Tarzan. And we'll return again next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with chapters 21 and 22. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.